Yeah, thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17 says, All fat is the Lord's. God wants your fat. It's a funny idea, right? It's good news for you, God. I got lots to give. We have a funny relationship with fat. Like, I don't know anybody who feels satisfied with the amount of fat they are or have. I have a lot of friends who are bodybuilders. They are obsessed with getting a lower body fat percentage so they can be stage ready, so they can be aesthetically pleasing, so they can look right in the mirror in front of a crowd, which honestly makes me want to punch them in the neck because they look fantastic. And when I lift up my shirt, I don't. And that's just the people who are supremely healthy. I mean, normal people have a much trickier relationship with fat. I mean, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, well, I'm not all the way there. I'm probably just 20 or 30 percent away from what an average person's supposed to look like. But I mean, fat is problematic. And we, we know that we shouldn't be fat-shamed. We know that that's not right. I mean, it, and, and honestly, it's more important, I think, to get rid of people who make you feel terrible for having fat than it is to reduce the amount of fat you actually have. And yet, I think we ought to do something with our bodies in order to stay healthy because I don't know about you, but everything in my life makes me sick, slow, unhealthy, sleepy, and dying so I've got to actively work against that in order to take care of the body that God has entrusted to me because your body is the way that you manifest love in the world. So you've got, you got to do something to make sure that you can bring more love, passion, energy, and enthusiasm to the people around you. So it's tricky. Like you don't want to feel bad about it, and you shouldn't. You don't want to be around people who make you feel bad about it because, well, they suck. They can be over there. But you still got to do something to take care of, well, who you are and what you got. Turns out, the Bible has lots to say about this. Unless you think I'm about to dive into a message about physical fitness, health, and wellness, well, no, I'm not. It's just, it's just that the Bible has a lot to say about fat. And I think it's funny because I'm immature. <laughs> but their whole understanding of fat was very different than ours. And it's really, they, they have the, the perspective of a butcher. Well, think about it. A long time ago, the part of the world almost exactly opposite from ours. There was a whole culture of people set apart and devoted to Yahweh. And one of the things that Yahweh instructed them to do was bring an offering of animals. I mean, for all kinds of reasons, offerings of atonement and offerings of thanksgiving. And so they would prepare these animals and, and share a meal with God. That's the right way. That's the appropriate way to understand animal sacrifice. I mean, you, you don't go to prime cuts and think you're offering cruelty to animals. No, you go to the store, you buy the fun meat, you eat it with your family. You say blessing to God before you eat. It's, it's good. That, that's what they were doing back then. It just sounds spookier and scarier. So in that context, I want you to understand, once upon a time, these guys, they get the animal... And the priests are the, the butchers. The priests are the chefs. They're going to prepare the meal before God. So they put the thing on the altar, and then they cut it open. What's the first thing they see? You're from Michigan. You know all about killing animals and skinning them alive. Usually in your car or your back seat or something. you probably got a couch at home. It's got deer blood on it. But, I mean, they cut it open. They peel off the skin. What do they see? 
See, muscle, sinew, and a whole lot of fat. Fat. So fat, you got to spell it with a PH, just fat. Now, the ancient Israelite people were really intelligent about fat. Now, they were pre-scientific, so some of what made sense to them doesn't quite make sense to us. Not, not really, because we've got the benefit of science and biology and several thousand years of reflection that make us more, well, more educated about fat. Than, but they had, they had a lot to say and a lot to do and a lot to think about fat. In fact, you've heard the old yarn that the Inuit peoples and the indigenous peoples of northern British Columbia have, have 50 different words for snow, right? You've heard this, right? It's because they, they're really well-versed in snow. They're around it all the time. They care about it. It's important to them, important to their culture, important to their heritage. Well, there's like 23 different words for fat in Hebrew because they really appreciated fat. They knew it. They understood it. And the first thing you got to understand is when they cut that animal open and they're getting ready to make this meal that they're going to share with God, all the healthy, meaty portions of the animal are covered in fat. And when they looked at that, their first instinct was to think that the fat protected the animal. Now, multiple times in Leviticus, chapter 3, chapter 23, God instructs the people that the fat is to be burned creating a sweet aroma. That term, sweet aroma, shows up a lot in Leviticus. It smells good. It's barbecue. And what God wants them to know is that thing that protected the animal should be brought to him as a recognition that, that God is going to protect you. This whole thing about fat starts with the idea of protection. You're going to find your ultimate protection in God. God is going to protect you. Now, in a savage, chaotic, crazy, bloodthirsty world like ours, or pardon me, theirs, I mean, it's just the same except where it's different. The truth is, we need divine protection. And good news, God uses fat to show us that that's exactly what he's going to offer us. Now you study a little bit more about how they considered fat and pay attention to this aroma and you realize that the particular kind of fat that's being described here is like the fat that makes the meat really good. Like, you know, the best tasting portions of meat are usually the ones with the most fat. Like, you know, I, I really shouldn't eat this, but this is the one I really want. Like, I want to go to the restaurant and I want to get a steak that's roughly the size of my SUV. And I want it to be marbled with juicy, delicious fat. That's the kind of fat that's being spoken of here. And God says, that's for me. And you think, well, Scott being a little bit of selfish? Well, no, you get the other 22 and a half kinds of fat, but this fat, this fat belongs to me. Because God celebrates what's best. Remember the early stories of the Bible? There was that one about Cain and Abel. Right, these two brothers who are always competing for the attention of, well, basically everything, you know, like brothers do. And Abel presented a beautiful and pleasing offering to God with which God was pleased because it was 
It was the best of what he had to offer. And Cain, he just brought, well, kind of whatever he had left over. Man, I hate when people do that. And I hate when God does that. Drives me nuts. I've been a pastor for a long time. There are people in our church that I just think are gorgeous, remarkable people. I mean, gorgeous in their spirit because they'll come and they'll go, hey, I've got this, this thing I want to give the church. I've got this gift I want to give the church. I've got some extra food. I want to bless those in need with it. I've got some extra money. I want a scholarship to some kids to go um, overseas on a mission trip. You know, I want to come and give the best of my time. I'm, I, I love that. One of those guys is sitting right here, my buddy John Mefford. He always gives the best of who he is and what he has to our church. I love that. But then there's some other people that aren't like that. And they show up with like a half-eaten cheese sandwich. And they're like, hey, man, you think anybody who's poor wants my sandwich? And I think, no. We don't want your sandwich. I don't even want to know you. I don't even want to be, go to that church. Making my church worse just by being here with your stinky, flatulent cheese sandwich. So get out of here. God appreciates what's best. He celebrates what's best. So when we give to God, we give what's best. I mean, you think Aaron's up here playing music, not practicing, not learning his songs? He's a phenomenal musician. And you know what? He works his tail off to make sure that he brings what's best on a Sunday morning. I came in here for the sound check, last couple minutes of the sound check, and they're running the final eight bars of the song that you just heard. And Aaron, the guitar player, and Jeff, the drummer, they are particular about the last note and the last moment of that song. Now you probably sit there and go, oh, that's pretty cool. I like it. Those guys are good. It's not just that they're good. They're given their best because God's worth it. And what's so cool is they're not just doing it for God. They're doing it for you. They're doing it so that you can experience excellence and so that there are fewer distractions that get in the way of you experiencing the presence of God. That, that's the right spirit. That's the spirit that God commands in Leviticus. Give, give me the best. Give me the best. The best. And of course, if you imagine living way back then over there, a lot of the folks were um, the farmers, cattle raisers, shepherds. And you know, when times are good, what happens to the animals? They get fat. Because fatness in animals is a sign of abundance, of prosperity. A recognition that times are good. I mean, you remember the, uh, the dream that Joseph had about Pharaoh? Remember this and another story in the Old Testament of the Bible? Joseph has this prophetic dream. He's a man who loves God and has always paid for his love for God. I mean, every time he gives something to God, somebody else attacks him. You know, he serves God faithfully, they throw him in jail. He serves God faithfully, they throw him into deeper, darker jail. But God sees Joseph, and God rewards Joseph, God blesses Joseph, and Joseph has this dream. He tells the Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven fat years followed by seven lean years. Seven years of remarkable abundance 
Well, your sheep aren't going to be able to fit in through the door. Your cows are so fat, they won't be able to move to the next pasture. You better appreciate those years of divine abundance. Fat signifies abundance. God wants you to experience divine abundance. Now, when I was coming up in church, there were always people who would talk about uh, prosperity. You, mean, you see those prosperity preachers, you know, and they talk about God wanting you to have a Rolls Royce or something, and they got the fancy suits and the gold cufflinks, and everything they talk about is about wealth and health. They got the spray tan and the fake teeth and the coiffure, and, you know, and you, just, you just look at them and you're like, I'm uncomfortable. You know, that's just, that's just not my speed. I don't, I don't, that's weird. But I heard one of them say something once, and it led me on a little biblical exploratory journey. The preacher got up and he said, a lot of you don't believe that God wants you to prosper. What's the alternative? What do you think he wants you to do? You think he wants you to be poor, sick, depressed, alone? Well... No, I guess I don't. I guess when I go through and study the scripture, God actually does want people to flourish, to thrive, to succeed, to be well, to be happy. I mean, because he's good. Because he's a loving father. What kind of father wants their kid to be sick and sad? Now, I might still quibble with some person definition of abundance or prosperity that's fair but don't let the aberration of biblical teaching distract you from the fact that God loves you and he wants you to experience good things and not just a little bit of good things he wants to pour open the windows of heaven and enrich you mightily in every way, that you might prosper even as your soul prospers. And so you go to work tomorrow, and you're working. You know what God wants for you when you work? That you like it. That your work is a joy. That you find meaningful engagement in your relationships, whether that's with colleagues or coworkers. employers or employees. That you come home from work feeling like you've done well. Faithfully satisfying your responsibilities to the people that depend upon your income. He wants you to come home with dreams in your mind for how work might be better or sweeter or what else you might do to glorify him through your meaningful pursuits. I mean, he wants work to be good. And then when you come home at the end of the day, he wants you to have something in the tank so you can enjoy the people with whom you live. You shouldn't be like a slug just smearing your way through the coffee room so you can get home and plop on the couch. You've been designed for more. Now, of course, there's always going to be a gap between what God wants and what we experience. And the Holy Spirit of God is helping us close that gap. But let's not deny the fact that God really does want you to have a life worth living. John 10, 10, Jesus famously said, I've come that you might have life and life abundant. Now, who was he talking to? He was talking to people who were already alive. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a pulse. 
I've come that you might have abundant life. Abundant life. Life on earth as it is in heaven. Here and now, little bit like it's going to be then, later, in all the ways. Amen? We forget that sometimes. We forget that God has designed us to flourish, to blossom, to grow, to live in abundance. And oddly enough, it's the fat that reminds us. Last but not least, fat then was a reservoir of stored energy. Fat is energy that you can use later because you don't need it now. Remember again, Joseph's dream, right? Seven fat years and then seven lean years. So Joseph's advice to the Pharaoh was you hang on to the excess from the seven fat years so that when the years are lean, you've got some energy, you've got some resources to draw on. I think about all the times in our church where people came to church and there was nothing wrong. Because usually what happens is uh, you come to church for the first time because your life is a mess. Because you're hurting, you're scared, you're tired, you're broke. Somebody dumped you, somebody left you, you lost everything, you don't know where to turn. And so you come to church to go, oh God, help me. Then you come to church, good news, you get healthy. And after a while you go like, yeah, church was pretty cool. I liked the music today. Dave was funny. I don't know if he can really pull off that haircut, but you know, it's cool, whatever. Then after a while, years and years go by and you realize, I don't know that I need church anymore. I don't know that I really got anything out of it. It wasn't really what I was going through. Didn't, didn't really connect. That's not just true of our church. That's every church. Christians go through that all the time. Yeah, it was okay. I don't know. Kids didn't really learn much. That was kind of neat. I don't really find a place where I can serve yet. Do you know what? You're in the fat years. You're in the years where you ought to be storing up energy for the future because you know, man, something's going to happen. It could be a pandemic. Nobody saw that one coming. You think that's the last weird, bad, hard thing that's going to happen to anybody? So when you come to church and ain't nothing wrong and you don't got any needs, whew, you better get your, I don't, even, I don't know enough about biology to know what the fat funnels are, but you better get those suckers open. Because you're storing it up for the future, man. Becoming wizened, seasoned. Robust, mature. We get all this from fat. The fat protects, and God protects us. But fat is the choicest, tastiest portion of the animal. God celebrates what's best. The fat is a sign of abundance. God desires that you would experience divine abundance. And that fat is stored energy for the future. God is providing excess energy for you, in you. 
I just keep thinking about all this, and I keep thinking, I don't know why I'm, I'm this is my Bible, by the way. I haven't used it yet because I memorized it, but, you know, there it is, proof that I got it. Just in case you're curious. Think about all this stuff. I think about the, uh, the 50-some-odd times in Leviticus that God says, I am the Lord your God. That's why he wants the fat, because he's the Lord. I'm the Lord your God. It's kind of a funny phrase, you know, to our modern ears. That phrase sounds like God is saying, I am the God your God. It's a little redundant, right? But the Hebrew words are different. The word Lord in Hebrew is the word Yahweh, which is, is actually an unpronounceable word. The closest you could get is to kind of breathe it. And that's God's name. Like, my name is David. His name is Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. Now, God is a position. Comes from the northern Semitic word El, which means God. Interestingly, God is not saying, I am the Lord your God, like I would say, I am David your pastor. Because the word in Hebrew is not El, singular for God. The word in Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural for God. So stay with me here, because I know this is a lot of schooling. So God is saying not, I am David your pastor, I'm the Lord your God. God is saying, I am Yahweh, I'm all your gods. I'm everything. I'm everything you're ever going to need. I'm everything you're ever going to want. Everyone who can supply anything is me. So you're looking for protection? Good news. You don't need a God of protection. You don't need to go over there and look for one particular deity. I'm it. I'm all you're ever going to need. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to protect you and lead you into the future. Now, those guys over there in that other tribe and that other kingdom, they got a, a different God for protection than they do for delight or pleasure. But good news, you need to talk to somebody about pleasure. I'm your God. I'm all you're ever going to need to enjoy life, to taste the sweetest, listen to the most beautiful, experience the most wonderful things the world has to offer. Because I'm Yahweh, and I'm all you need ever. Now, those guys over there, oh, man, they, they have a whole different God for protection than they do for pleasure. Now, those, those guys over there, they have a, a God that's, that's set aside just for... Um, abundance, you know. Like if they need provision, man, that's the God they go to. But you? No, no, no. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. If you need protection, if you need pleasure, if you need provision, you come to me. I'm going to give everything to you, but you got to come to me. This is the whole basis of our relationship. Me with you and you with me. Somebody else said it like this. I'm in the Father and you're in me. Like a, a vine and branches, we stay connected in all ways at all times. This is life and life eternal. Not that you would do things, but that you would be with me. And I'd live in you. And you're going to need me. Man, because there's some stuff coming. 
And you're going to need energy for the future. You're going to need it. And I'm going to give it to you. But the way we do this is, is together. Now, as Christian people living thousands of years after this was written, sometimes the words of Leviticus, well, they, they seem hard to understand. They're a real chore to get through. When they're going through in chapter 3 and they're spending 16 verses telling you how to chop up the goat, which portions are burned and which portions smell good, which portions get tossed away and which portions get served, you go, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Well, it starts with fat. It starts with understanding who they were and what they were going through, that they needed protection, that they needed a healthy framework for pleasure, that, that, they, that they needed abundance, that they needed energy for the future. Man, so do we. And the way they got that then wasn't through the ritual. It was through devotion. And that's the way we get it now, too. I'm the Lord, your God, church. So know it and live it. Proclaim it and embody it forever till the Lord comes. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of knowing you, being in your church, being in your house, being with your people. Lord, we, we want to be students of your word, students of your history and your work in the world. We want to be good learners, not just people who learn interesting facts, but people who embody timeless truth, eternal love, and foundational relationships with you. Please help us and guide us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.